Hello and welcome to Ashes of the Imperium, a 40k podcast from sunny England. My name is Dan. And I'm Steve. Join us as we explore the 41st millennium in all its glory, as we talk narrative gaming, Warhammer lore and awesome hobby. From the grim dark corners of Imperial Hives to the outer reaches of Xenos infested space. Welcome to the Ashes of the Imperium. Hi and welcome to Ashes of the Imperium. Just a quick one before we begin. Steve and I were testing out a new podcast recording software, which we won't be using going forward, uh, but it has resulted in the audio quality for this episode uh, being a bit hit or miss. There's moments when the sound kind of drops out. You, you'll see what I mean when you listen, but we do hope this doesn't impact your enjoyment of this fortnight's episode. And we look forward to bringing you back the usual sound quality that you expect from Ashes of the Imperium uh, in future episodes. Cheers. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Ashes of the Imperium. My name is Dan and once again, as always, I'm joined by the lovely Steve Foote. How are you, Steve? I'm very good. Very good, Dan. And a happy new year to you. And a happy new year to you too. What a year we had. Yeah, one to forget, I think. <laughs> well, we did have some lots of lovely, lovely Warhammer models released, uh, which perhaps will be the content of a future episode. We'll perhaps be reviewing 2020. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it Warhammer related only because plenty of other rubbish things happened in 2020. Yeah. And this is the first episode of 2021. And it is our final episode on the Argovan system. So... We did wonder what the flashpoints were going to be like, and, and it appears this is a trilogy. Whether all flashpoints are going to be a trilogy in the future, who knows? But we do know that next month's White Dwarf will also have a new flashpoint in it. Yes. Very exciting. We're going to do the same same kind of thing that we did before. We're going to talk, talk a little bit about the law, and we're also going to come up with a £25. You'll be pleased to hear that I won't be talking about Eldari this year, uh, this, this year, this episode. Uh, there, there will definitely be Eldari talk this year at some point, I promise you that. Uh, but we will be making brand new £25 Crusade Forces to fit in with the Collapse of Argoven, the final, I guess component of this small saga that we've had in the prior Nexus. And it's going to be really interesting to see whether the next Flashpoint is in the Prime Nexus or whether it's in a new thing entirely. I, I mean, I'm always happy to go back, but I, I think for me, exploring new places is exciting. And I think that the nice thing is that we can take the armies that we've been fighting in the Prime Nexus and they can be, you know, redeployed somewhere else and bring all their learning and skills with them. Absolutely. So without further ado, Steve, tell me what's happening in the Argoven system in this final episode, as it were. Yeah, so we kind of learn a little bit more about uh, a, a planet we haven't visited yet, which is our Golish. And then we get to catch up with Arvagon and what happens there and kind of wraps up what happens in, in, the, whole, in the whole Flashpoint. So um, uh, we get to have some new armies join the fray, which is good. Yeah, I, I, I think it's great. I think I think it's great. And I'm, I'm excited that this isn't just a you know, once per year, th- three issues. If it is every issue, then I'll be very happy. But even if it's, you know, a more regular feature, then that would be very cool. Non-stop narrative crusade content, Steve. What's not to like? No. Sign me up. Sign me the heck up. Yeah, so um, I, I guess this would be a great a great time to, uh, I guess, say thanks to the White Dwarf team because I, I've really enjoyed this, this series. Um, I was always intending on subscribing, but this has really sealed the deal. The fact that we've had for the past three episodes and for the, for the past three issues rather and for the fourth issue coming out we, we've had constant crusade content in the form of this flashpoint stuff it's um 
it's really cool. So so keep keep doing what you're doing, White Dwarf team. Well done you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think as much as anything else, it's kind of as much as it's giving us detail down to planetary level, there is still so many gaps to go and play on in here, even if it's down to, you know, unit names or, you know, when we we get the orders of battle for different conflicts, you know, not everything's explained. There's so much wiggle room here to go and explore and make your own stories up. Um, I think it's a brilliant format. And that room for maneuver is really where the hobby magic happens for for me in 40K. That's that, that ability to kind of bring the world to life in your own way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So shall we so, kick off with our Golish? Let's do it. Let's do it. Talk to me about our Golish, Steve. So it's, a, it's, it's classification is a cardinal world. Uh, so what that actually means is it's absolutely covered with ecclesiastical constructions. So we're talking chapels, churches, places of worship. And I think in a way what we've already learned is that the um, – the Necron's master plan of using Blackstone to create this field of, um, it's called the stillness. It's basically yeah, everybody becomes lethargic and eventually just um, kind of gives up the will to live. But what we do know is that uh, any forces like sisters or the ministerium priests, anyone with a lot of faith in them, with a lot of passion in them, can overcome this stillness. So it shouldn't be too much of a surprise to actually understand that this is one of the planets that does actually survive the fight. Bit of a spoilers there, but does um, survive the fight because of everybody here is very, very passionate, is, is very, very religious. But saying that, it's not an easy fight, and that's where some great stories are. Absolutely. And I think that's a great, a great reminder to talk about why why the Necrons are doing what they're doing is essentially they're trying to shut down the warp, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I guess close the rift and, and reduce the amount of warp energy in the galaxy. And the warp being a, I guess, metaphysical manifestation of human emotion. Yeah. Yep. So in order to shut down human emotion, or, or indeed to just emotion, not necessarily human, but um, given that humans are one of the kind of dominant or, or most pre- pre- prevalent species in the galaxy, they basically are trying to shut down all this emotional stuff that's going on, these these silly biological meat sacks. <laughs> so they're, they're essentially stripping out the kind of what what makes people human and, and the soul. Like I've been watching the BBC uh, His Dark Materials recently, uh, which is uh, season two has, has recently been released. And I guess it's, if you're familiar with that series, it's, it's, I guess it's like removing the demon from, from a uh, human. Okay. Okay. And uh, in, uh, in some of that uh, spoilers for his dark, uh, for, for um, book one of his dark materials uh, incoming, but in, in book one, they uh, devise a method to re- sever the link between a human and a demon. And it turns the the children that they do it to into these kind of mindless not zombies as in kind of grr, arg, I want to eat your brains things, but just these kind of like lobotomized beings. And I guess that's kind of how I imagine the Argovan system. Yeah. You, know, you kind of lose connections with your soul. You've just become a bit of a drooling mess sat in the corner. So I think this master plan you know, is, is beginning to be uh, understood and we've, we've um, you know, and, and that's been brought to life in the rules and that we've, you know, uh, if we go back to the crusade book, 
uh, mission pack book that has the whole investigation mechanism that you know as you're going around you 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 you're creating investigation points that allow you to then discover artifacts um and those artifacts are about determining what's going on so i think um we've got this really kind of nice sort of tight knit set of rules and overlapping things between the, the basic crusade rules and the, and the in the big book we've got the the mission pack which is the crusade one and now we've got the white dwarfs and and i think for me we, it allows you to just cherry pick all of the the bits that suit your play your armies or you know the mates that you know you play with um and just kind of bring that to life definitely and it does show the kind of cold calculated nature of the necrons really well in that they see the threat of chaos and the threat of the warp as a much bigger issue than the continued survival of humanity and it does it does also raise some really interesting questions about you know what what makes us human and you know if you if you remove all of our emotion and our thoughts then are we are we still human or are we just kind of organisms yeah i mean it, it gets that classic meme isn't it are, are we the bad guys I think because I'm sure the Necrons don't see themselves as being the bad guys. They're just doing what they need to do to, you know, protect the universe. Absolutely. They are they are the ultimate long game players. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So were you attracted to Argolish because that's where you kind of wanted to place your army, or was there anything about the narrative that you really enjoyed? Um, I think for me it was there was elements of the narrative that really kind of grabbed me i mean you know we are talking about city fighting because obviously most of the planet is covered with places of worship it is very much um your classic you know building to building fighting and i think you know we get some great little stories and snippets in here um you know years of four over one basilica the basilica of, of saint gertrude the gentle and i think for me you know being able to game with that as like a central building and then everyone fighting around it. But I think the, the, the other thing is that, you know, we have to kind of give this a, a, a place in that, you know, there's like 16 million people on this planet and there's a huge collection of, you know, rare relics um, that are, you know, eons, thousands of years old. Um, so for me, there is also a, a mention of, um, these squads that go in there to try and save some of the rarer or more important ones. Um, and that's what triggered me to go, Ooh, I can do 25 power level of that. Yeah. Uh, going back to what you're saying about fighting in cities and stuff like that, like city fight isn't a new concept for 40 K far from it. But what I really liked about our goalish here is the scale represented. So I thought perhaps that rather than fighting in a city, which has cathedrals and you know protect churches and spires in it perhaps you could be fighting in just one building but it being the size of a of a town or a city ooh rather than being fighting in around and in smaller churches you're just fighting the battlefield is the church you can take inspiration from any number of large places of worship uh, all around the world you've got things like canterbury cathedral you've got uh notre dame uh, you could build a 40k version of that and that's something that I, i've really liked uh one of the guys on instagram i can't remember his name now but um he's been doing 
a Necromunda version of London and he's built like London Bridge, Tower Bridge um, and things like that. And it's just like, I'd love to do that for Paris because um, I love Paris. Uh, I've been been there. uh, I've got French family, so I've been there quite a lot. And it's just, I'd love to be able to build like some of the kind of famous landmarks of Paris, but 40Kified. And maybe our Golish could be one of those places and you could just build like an interior of a cathedral and have that as your battlefield. That would be so cool because there's all sorts of great stuff. Like, you know, you have a huge sort of battle organ at one end that could be playing and that, you know, that can be destroyed or not destroyed while it's been playing. You've got pulpits. That would be great gun position. You know, a pulpit doesn't have to be just one person. You know, you could have a squad in a 40K size pulpit. And then fallen statues. I mean, there's some cover. It doesn't have to be just a bunch of wooden pews, does it? No, absolutely. You know, you can imagine all these kind of saints like that, and you could use that cool uh, Citizens of Battle terrain piece statue as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Loads of loads of the, the scenery comes with statue models these days, yeah, and some of the the Age of Sigma stuff. You know, you could use that as well. You just have this like like whole, the Hall of Saints, and just have all these crumbled, partially collapsed cap- statues. Some of which are still standing. Uh, some of which have like viewing platforms around it, so like f- the faithful could gather around it and and you know stick a purity seal on it for for good luck or whatever and uh and you know that whole platform how could house a hundred people or something and you could just have that as like a sniper tower you know whatever it it would just be really cool it would i've not seen anything like that i think it would still be tactical enough to play you know there would still be enough cover um or you'd have to you know time it right and everyone makes a rush for it and hope you make it and again that's where games don't have to be you know 25 power level each or you know one could be 50 for the attackers and 25 for the defenders and it's you know it's a bitter defense or the attackers have to definitely have overrun overrun by turn five even if they've got a lot of lot more it doesn't matter because after turn five that's when reinforcements turn up so i think for me yeah no i'd really fancy i'd play that table all day i just got to build it Yes, yes. Build it and they will play when we're allowed to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Steve, your army is going to be based in Argolish, is it? Your crusade force? Yes, so my crusade force, um, uh, kind of riffing off uh, a movie, one of the movies I really like, which is The Monument Men. Oh, we spoke about this right at the beginning, didn't we? Yeah. In episode one of our of our coverage of this, we talked about maybe having a monuments men style force. Yes. So this this is this is absolutely needed when we get to this part of the campaign. We've got all these relics that are being overrun by the Necron advances on Golish. So what I've got is a Valkyrie on board is Commander, who's a um, Tempestal Prime. Then we've got ten Scions, and of course. They're going to be the, the kind of team that go in there and, and, and grab it. Because what they're going to need is they're going to minister and priest. They're going to need someone to be able to identify what is the what, what's valuable, what's the most important piece. Um, so they they'll fit on board. And then because we've got twenty five power level, uh, what we need to do is perhaps for some of the other pieces we might need some transport. So in that case, I've got a Torox that can race in once the thing's secured, and on board there, there's a Tempestus command squad, so we've not filled it out. So we've got room for for relics, for um, you know books, or you know whether whether it's a, a statue or um, you know it could be a painting. Even we need to get that on board. And if it's too too fragile or uh, can't go on board the 
Valkyrie. So I think for me, that's obviously, you know, the, the Scions are quite expensive for, for what they do and they're not really designed to go in on their own too much. But I think it's part of a bigger game or I think the other thing is you could actually start to use um, some of the battle plans where objectives are possible um, sites for for relics so then that means is that okay my force is isn't necessarily super strong and certainly not really very punchy if the enemy have to spread out to cover off all of the relic sites i don't have to fight all 25 power level of them i just need to fight the 10 power level that's on there so what i don't you know what i can shoot off and then the other nice thing is that if i go back and go to the greater good book there's some great stratagems like precision drop that allows me to get in there faster, allows me to get into um, get get on the site as quickly as possible because we need to secure it um, before anyone gets back. Um, I think the other thing as well is that, you know again just going back and using things like the Prior Nexus Crusade book. We've got specialist agendas there. So there's one in the shadow operations called Uncover the Answers. Now, although this is kind of uh, around based of creating investigation points, which in this book is about discovering the Necron artifacts, I don't really see that being a difficult problem of being using that for saying instead of investigation points finding Necron artifacts, we're finding religious Terran artifacts. So again, it doesn't take much to flick through the books to just suddenly go, well, if I connect this with this with this, I've now got a an agenda, which can become part, you know, which is obviously part of my crusade. And there's there's other great stratagems out there that allow me to actually make this, you know, I suppose you can say it's more effective, absolutely, but it just brings it to life in the role that they want to do. So so yeah, and I'm so excited about it. I'm actually going to make one. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I, I well, I, I love the idea. I wouldn't have wouldn't have brought it up in the first episode had we uh, had I not been a fan of it. And I just, I just like this kind of much like how the Necrons are like. Right, humanity is a is a speed bump in the way of us curing the problems of the warp. <laughs> these these signs are like, yeah, all these you know all these civilians who are you know in a city fight warfare warfare situation are irrelevant we've got to go rescue a, a bone finger that belonged to a saint <laughs> yeah. or something from a destroyed cathedral you know they open up the cathedral and it's or in fact it reminds me of a, a story that's the, one of the narrative stories that's in in this uh, section which is where there's a whole bunch of civvies hiding in and some militia hiding in a, a place of worship and they see some wounded soldiers outside and they're like hammering on the door to let them in, and then they open the doors, and the Necrons come in, and you know they're trying to save their comrades, but get um, smashed apart by the wraiths, uh, by, by the Necrons rather. And uh, it was almost you could imagine like these uh, Tempest of Science like knocking on the door, being like, "Oh, let us in! You know, we're here to save you." <laughs> and they're like, "They're like, no, you know, or we're here to save." something yeah and uh the civilians being like oh okay like they must be here to save us and then just be like pushing them out of the way be like get out of the way i've come to get this finger bone <laughs> and then just like walking out the door jumping in the valkyries and just leaving the front doors open and then we're like oh they weren't here for us wop, wop. yeah that that feels absolutely spot on they're, they're super focused their their mission um you know they can't be taking civilians on board the valkyrie uh or endanger the sh- 
danger the bird, uh, weigh them down, make them slower. They're just super focused. Um, and, you know, I, I'd actually say if you were saying that actually as we begin to understand more about the Necrons and how they're using um, the Blackstone, that, you know, actually having these very powerful symbols of faith, you know, are really important because if we're going to actually be able to overcome and be, create devices that can nullify the stillness, then we, we, do, we do need them all and they all need to be saved. Am I convincing you, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I'm all in. <laughs> are you going to pick a certain relic that their, sort of their, their first mission, is there, is there something that you have in mind or is this just a kind of conceptual force? Um, oh, now you've done it. Um, no, I want to make it. I want to make it because I, I, I will probably attach them to uh, my Talan because I think it still fits the role of the Talan. Um, but yeah, yes. Then actually having a relic that, yes, okay. Um, yes. I, yeah, I, maybe maybe think, maybe, uh, you know, don't have to come up with one right now, but maybe have a have a ponder. Yes. I, I, think, I, think, of, think of a reason for them to be there, not just the you know relics plural but maybe the relic what what are they there for to find and and why is that relic important to the that unit specifically and where's it located as well you know is it a finger bone of a saint in a cathedral or in like the city center or perhaps is it is it a person is it a saint a living saint you know is is it a a a small child that you know someone witnessed do a miracle for and then they they've been i don't know they're part of a convent somewhere yeah yeah, I think with me being desert-based, having some kind of remote abbey on top of a rocky... On top area. of like a mountain or something. Yeah, yeah. And that they're in danger and we need to break through. I mean, there's, there's great things you can do. So, you know, perhaps the um, first game is you need to break the lines because the Valkyrie doesn't have enough range to reach it it's too far behind enemy lines and it's in danger so the first game is breaking the enemy lines so we can then get the fuel drums forward so we can then have like a remote airstrip the valkyrie comes in refuels and then the next game is where it then goes to the this kind of um remote monastery bastion that's been surrounded and overrun and yes yes right yeah there we go write that down yeah. <laughs> there we go. Dan giving Steve a bit of narrative consultancy yeah. rather than the other way around. <laughs> so the other way around then, Dan, what, what, what's been inspired you for, for your 25 power level? So I did consider doing something on Argovan because there were the Argovian foresters who are basically like Catachans. You know, they, they kind of live and breathe in, in the, in these jungles. Um, there's even a, again another narrative snippet where they've got a picture of Catachan jungle fighters and they are kind of like you know ramboed up you know strapped to a tree by vines you know letting you know these massive mosquitoes eat you know eat, sort of sit on them the blood buzzers they call them like the blood buzzer comes and like sits on its shoulder and like or its face or something and like um uh, oh that's right so here we go a blood buzzer perched itself on Eris's nose to feed the small insectoid plunged its needle like mouth through its skin through his skin, rather. Eras bit his tongue through the pain and the irritation of its legs brushing against him. And I just thought it was like, they're so dedicated. Like, can you imagine like these big creepy crawlies like all over you and just having, because they're waiting for an ambush. They drop a load of grenades on these Necrons uh, and they do that, which is cool. 
Um, but I did think we have been quite, we have been doing quite a fair amount of Astro Militar Armed Forces uh, in these things. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that you were going to do one. So I thought I'd pick something slightly different. And uh, I went with another Xenos force. But this time we've got the introduction of the Gene Stealer cult. So um, Argovan, which is the, the capital planet of the system, uh, is your classic kind of agri world. Yep. mining world, kind of timber world. So it's it's a lot of industrial stuff, but focused on um, agriculture and uh, the forests. Um, it's meant to be a kind of a paradise world. You know, it's meant to be a, a, an amazing planet, which I guess is the tragedy of the Imperium is that they've, they're just using it for its... Uh, its resources and it's been racked with volcanoes and uh, earthquakes and stuff like that. And that's actually where these gene stealer cult kind of arise from is that they use that they're kind of waiting for the great quake. The great quake will cast down the oppressors who have been kind of getting rich off their work for so long. And that kind of, that's where this kind of rebellion starts from. What I really liked about this is that the gene stealer rising is, is is early so essentially they they see the necrons as such a massive threat that the rebellion starts early right so okay. i kind of wanted to incorporate that into my force uh in in, in a way but not necessarily um i kind of i struggled with how how to make how to represent that in my first 25 power um but the force is very much a, your classic gene stealer cult you know from the the working class mining menials that that live in the kind of under parts of the city and you know very much you know not very happy with the way they've been treated and um uh, the gene stealer cultists the kind of the, the cult rising comes from that kind of resentment of the i guess upper classes of of the planet so I started off with I actually started off with a patriarch because I thought every every Stealer cult's got to have its patriarch. Um, and as I went through the list, I realised that I didn't have enough points to have all the things I needed or enough power because I also wanted some aberrants because they're mentioned in one of the one of the law snippets as well. And an aberrant's a nine power, and a patriarch is seven power. And I thought, do you know what actually? I wanted to then veer away from this kind of fully formed Gene Stealer cult army that had a patriarch and it had its aberrants. And I almost wanted to represent this kind of hodgepodge nature of like, you know, uh, oh, quick, like start the rebellion, go, 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 go. <laughs> like, and everything's a bit rushed and maybe they don't have the, all the resources that they need. So rather than having, so for example, I had some uh, Brood Brothers, uh, which are the, uh, you know, the Astro Militarum. Gene Stealer Cult dudes. Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you're basically your yeah, Cadian squad, right? With with different heads. Um, I had them with a Chimera, and I thought, do you know what? No, uh, I'm not going to have a Chimera, and I'm not going to have like the Goliath truck. I want it to be a little bit, um, as I say, like rushed feeling. So I, I put a Magus in there uh, with, with, as, as the HQ, and then I I took some Brew Brothers because I wanted to represent the fact that all the all the Astro Militarum units that were based on the home were kind of seen as untrustworthy. Yeah, and that's one of the things that one of the Imperial uh, leaders of this part of the fight did really well, was that they separated the off-world forces from the uh, kind of domestic forces, as it were. So they saw them as untrustworthy, and because they separated it, it was actually, it it kind of mitigated some of the response of when the Gene Stealer uprising came, the the kind of external forces were separated from the internal forces so that they they didn't get damaged as much. Um, so I wanted to uh, include some of the uh, Brood Brothers there 
And I was, you know, you, because I was interested in the Forester's kind of theme, I could probably, rather than using Cadians with heads, I'd probably, you know, model them as Catachans or something like that instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, have it as rather than kind of being mining, kind of the the, the rock grindery type uh, vibe, go for something more like uh, kind of the forest. So basically like Jeans de Lacolte Lumberjacks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, they come. They're 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 from this kind of um, working background, but they are essentially working out in the forest, which explains why their Brew Brothers Infantry Squad are Catachans rather than Cadians, because they're not the city defense; they are the the jungle defense. Yes, but yeah, right. you can imagine them all in like red plaid shirts and like big bushy beards, <laughs> braces. Yeah, braces. Absolutely. <laughs> Any um, other lumberjack, um, like, you know, memes or tropes that we've missed out, let us know. If we've got any Canadian listeners, do let us know if we're misrepresenting lumberjacks or whether you feel like your local lumberjacks perhaps have been infiltrated by the Gene Steeler cult. You never know. <laughs> Be aware at all times. Be aware at all times, listeners. The threat is real. Um, so we've got our uh, big butch lumberjack uh, infantry squad. Um, and then we had some neophyte hybrids because, you know, What's a GC the Cult Uprising without um, our, our new friends? Sorry, no, they're the Lumberjacks, aren't they? So, yeah, the Brood Brothers are clearly the Catachans, kind of the Foresters, the our, our Govan Foresters, and then the Neophyte Hybrids are our, our Renegade Lumberjacks. Um, so, we've got Omegas as the kind of leader, we've got the Infantry Squad, we've got the Hybrids, and then I, I wanted to potentially use a Rock Grinder, but rather than a Rock Grinder, it was going to be a Tree Grinder. And I thought, how, how would. How would you represent that? How would because the rock grinder's got this kind of big prow with the kind of like this kind of shovely thing with loads of grindery bits on the front. But what would a tree grinder look like? I Maybe guess, with like chainsaws instead of grindy bits. Yeah, I guess it'd, it'd be like a, 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 a forester, whatever they call it, or those machines you 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 hire in to put your hedge in, and it comes out as chips at the other side. So classic kind of Fargo thing. In fact, that's probably what it would be like, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I was thinking maybe of using if I, if if I was going to build this army of maybe using like a a chainsword off an imperial knight. Yes. And put that on the front. Yeah. Or maybe two of them to be like chainsaw scissors. Yes. And just have this like huge chainsaw thing that you know goes around like sawing off trees by the dozen at a time. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great example of the the genius of the cult you know we've seen them as being miners but they are laborers they could be any any type of you know yeah absolutely they could be fishermen yes yes so i i think for me that's a great example and that really fits in nicely with the world that we're on um and the fact that yeah because they would be out in the woods rather than in the the more elite areas yeah nice done you got a nice kind of um socio-political level going on there it's, it's good yeah absolutely and then uh, I've, I've fleshed out the rest of the list with a sanctus and a kelomorph purely because i thought that i mean the models are amazing yeah. um sanctus is the kind of stealthy guy with a cloak and a dagger with his little you know gene sealer bro with a with a night vision monocle on uh, and the kelomorph is the kind of gunslinger hero um so i just i liked the idea of of the Sanctus maybe kind of stealthing his way through the trees. You could do a cool woodland pattern camo on his cloak. And the Kelomorph, you know, it's just it's just a cool gunslinger model. Um, I think he fits in with the Lumberjack vibe quite well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, his ability to appear and disappear and um, and all that stuff fits in nicely with this whole kind of uh, early attack rather than being, you know, massed forces. So I think I like that too. Yeah, rather than it being... Because, I, I, you know, when I built the army, basically what I do with these, these forces, I, I throw in what I want and then see what it comes to. And often I'll build like a, a 50 power, 70 power list of just throwing things that will be like, right, okay, it would be good to have Petrarchs, aberrants, and uh, what's the HQ aberrant called? Uh, um, an abominant, you know, things like that. And I'll be like, oh, goodness, that's like a 2,000 bazillion power list. Um, and then I'll I'll kind of focus on maybe the narrative or a snippet and kind of build it around that. Or sometimes, I'll you know, I'll start with just a 25 power. But for this one, I kind of definitely had way more than 25 power. And I kind of really focused it down on, on what would exist in this kind of rushed um, rebellion. And I had things like uh, the heavy support that I put, the rock grinder wasn't in there originally. It was there. Originally I had a, a Goliath truck and the, the brew brothers had a chimera and the neophytes had a, a Goliath. And it was very kind of, it felt very martial, you know, yeah. this squad had their transport, this squad had that transport. And I thought that's not really representing what the law is telling me. Yeah. So I removed the dedicated transports so that, uh, it wouldn't look as organized. And then I thought, Do you know what? I could use the space that I've created with removing the Goliath to put a different type of Goliath in there, the Goliath tree grinder. Yep. So in terms of adding another level of flavor to the army, I thought of what kind of cult creeds uh, I would use, so kind of chat tactics or, or whatever, um, and all the, the relics and warlord traits. And, and I was deciding between the Rusted Claw, who were described as nomadic survivalists, or the Twisted Helix, who are experimental subjects. But rather than being experimental subjects in the kind of twisted science goes wrong type, uh, you know, cackling mad scientist way, I was thinking more of their, you know, this this lumberjack theme, you know, <laughs> they're big, strong lumberjack people, uh, and they would be much stronger. And maybe maybe the genius of the cult have been experimenting on them to make them stronger. And we all know that Gene cult workers work harder because they don't rest as much and, you know, things like that. And actually they're often looked on by the Imperium as a very positive thing until they realize that they're Xenos infected because they're, you know, really hard workers and stuff like that. So, you know, as, as I'm going to iron between that, but in the end I went for uh, the nomadic survivalists of the rusted claw. Um, and the cult creed that they get is when making saving throws uh, with the exclusion of invulnerable throws uh, for a model with this cult creed, add one to the result if the weapon being used to make the attack has an armor penetration of zero or minus one. So I thought that would uh, represent how they're using kind of cover to their advantage. They know the trees, they know the woods and forests really well, and they can hide in the jungle. Um, in addition, biker models with this cult creed do not suffer a penalty to their hit rolls for moving and shooting heavy weapons or for advancing and shooting assault weapons. Uh, so uh, clearly the next 25 power has to have some of the uh, Atalan Jackal models or and indeed the uh, Atalan Primus or the Jackal Alphas. There we go. Mixing up my words. The Jackal Alphas, which is the HQ model sniper uh, girl. That's a really cool model as well. Yeah, nice. Nice. And then you can use stratagems like Lion Weight. So 2CP, use a stratagem when you set up a unit from your army that has the cult ambush ability as reinforcements. When setting up that unit, it can be set up anywhere on the battlefield that's more than three inches away from enemy models, but the unit cannot make a charge move this turn. So that's cool. Um, you know, representing that kind of ambushy nature. And of course, the Rusted Claw, the dedicated one, is drive-by demolitions. So Use the strategy before a bike unit from the army shoots in your shooting phase. Uh, you could add one to hit wound rolls with grenade weapons. Uh, okay, nice. And then after you've done all its shooting attacks, it can immediately make a move as if it were uh, the movement phase. So 
again, that's kind of would be useful for the second, you know, the second stage of this crusade army, which would be another 25 power, which would have to include lots of bikes. And then the cult warlord trait for that one, I thought, why not go all in and pick the rusted claw warlord trait? So the magus would get uh, every time you roll an unmodified wound roll of six in the fight phase for a model from a friendly rusted cog unit, whilst it within within six inches of your warlord, the attack penetration characteristic of that armor of that attack rather is improved by one. For example, <laughs> AP zero becomes a minus one. Thank you for that example. Um, and yeah, again, you know, maybe they're using kind of poison from the local plants that they've got expert knowledge of to represent that additional armor penetration characteristic. And it even it even works quite really well because the rusted claw relic is a, a magus only rusted claw magus only relic, and the uh, metallophagic stave replaces the bearer's four stave and has the following profile. So it's a, a range melee type melee strength plus two AP minus five. D3 damage. And every time you roll a wound roll a 4 plus for an attack made by that weapon that targets a vehicle, the target suffers one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. If you roll a wound roll of 6, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. So again, you know, much like, I guess, Return of the Jedi, they use the Earwalks, use the uh, the forest against the uh, ATSTs. Um, perhaps, you know... I'm really pushing this here, but perhaps the <laughs> Rusty Claw Magus has, has an idea of how to use the forest against vehicles. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> an Ewok army is, uh, is... No, this is not an Ewok army. This is a Lumberjack army. <laughs> the title of this army is I'm a Lumberjack and I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I did. I think, again, you're just cracking the lineup and uh, a really just showing how all of the options that we've got can be pulled together to bring it to life and make it fun. And yeah, I'd love to fight against that. I mean, that would be, especially, you know, again, rather than it being a city table with ruins that would be fighting maybe, maybe around a logging station, but really it would be between the lanes of these giant trees. And I think, you know, that would be so much fun to play. Yeah. And again, it, we talked about, in the last episode about how some, you know, like, oh, it's a, a 40k planet that's overrun by industrialism. You know, sometimes that is a little bit, you know, you'd, all your fighting in the 41st millennium doesn't have to be on a barren wasteland spotted by ruined city fight buildings and some industrial terrain, you know. Why not mix it up and fight in the jungle? Yeah. And that's why I really love scenery rules so much. And we, we do have we do have fun on the podcast chatting about scenery rules. Um, so, yeah, all uh, look forward to many more scenery rules in the future. Um, but also, just like building and designing this list, uh, building in my head, not necessarily physically, it did remind me of how cool the GC Cult model line is. Yeah, yeah. But I think they're just so nice and so much character to them. Um, yes. Tempted to do a small force to add to my Habzone table, but... Oh, that would be an appropriate army for your 40k coppers to fight, wouldn't it? It would. It would. It would. I think you should do that, Steve, for, for New Year, New Army. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Potentially, potentially. I, I think the, get the the start collecting box set is pretty sound, isn't it? It is pretty sound, yeah. It's got some cool models. It's got one of those little um, speed runner things, and it's got some hybrids in it. Yeah. Hmm. I think I may have some. <laughs> you, you don't say. 
<laughs> in my mountain of shame and it's no longer a pile um so yeah so there we go so perhaps we can uh, talk about future products for this year in um, the next episode steve yeah that sounds good definitely so that concludes our three-part series on the flashpoint argovan system uh, we hope you've enjoyed it um we might be adapting it the format ever so slightly for the future uh flashpoint series depends on what I guess what, what information White Dwarf gives us. We we may mix it up. We might just do one episode or we might split it down to three. Um, let us know. We'd, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how you found this uh, this three episode, three part series on the Argovan System Flashpoint articles. If you like it, uh, do let us know. If you don't like it, do let us know as well. We'd, we, we'd love to hear constructive feedback as well. And, you know, if we're presenting the information, if you'd rather we focus more on the campaign rules or less on kind of crusade armies, just let us know. Do get in touch. You can get us on AOTI 40K on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can send us an email. We are ashesoftheimperium at gmail.com. And of course, you can send us a voice note if you go to anchor.fm forward slash AOTI40K. Until next time, keep calm and crusade on. Cheers, guys.